My brothers and sisters in the Lord, our gospel takes place today in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum uh, was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a relatively large town in the time of Jesus, about 10,000 inhabitants, and it was a very large center of trade. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus enters the synagogue and he begins to teach. He begins to preach. And those who are there notice that he is teaching not like the scribes, but one who has authority. Authority, my brothers and sisters, and we'll speak about that in a few moments. But notice, my friends how the evangelist recounts the events in which the people not only recognize the authority of the Lord, but are astounded by that authority. A man with an unclean spirit enters the scene. Now, my brothers and sisters, what does the evangelist mean by an unclean spirit? There are those scripture scholars who believe maybe the man had mental illness or some other type of disease or deficiency. But you see, my brothers and sisters, what we have to recognize is that Jesus takes this man seriously. He doesn't just denounce him or set him aside. This whole notion of freeing him from that unclean spirit, the whole notion of the existence, my brothers and sisters, and the casting out of evil. And we still believe in that today. Certainly, my brothers and sisters, oftentimes we kind of put that aside as an element of our faith. We go back to the 1970s with the movie The Exorcist, and everyone thinks that that's just sort of a dramatic scene. And I think there were five sequels that came after that original movie. <clears throat> we're all intrigued by it, but when it comes to the spiritual life, we kind of just put it aside. But the church still believes in exorcisms. We still believe that we must cast out evil and Satan. When a child is brought for baptism, before the first anointing, there is a prayer of exorcism, a minor exorcism. We must keep that in mind as Jesus is exercising <coughs> his authority. Because you see, my brothers and sisters, we may not be formally, quote-unquote, possessed, but oftentimes we suffer from an unclean spirit, an oppressive spirit, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even physically. And Jesus comes to set us free. He comes to renew us. And how does he do it? He does that through this expression, as we hear in the gospel today, of his authority. He teaches as one with authority. And where does that authority come from? Well, certainly, my brothers and sisters, we know that it comes from the fact that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And it comes because of his connection, his relationship with the fall. Because you see, when the scribes used to teach, they would say something like, you have heard it said, or Rabbi so-and-so has said. 
But what does Jesus do in the gospel? He says, I say to you. And as we hear in other parts of the gospel, his relationship to the Father, when you see me, you see the Father. The Father and I are one. One God, three distinct persons. Jesus is teaching with that authority. How often in the gospel does he go off does he go off to pray to his father in order to complete his mission? The authority of Jesus and how he exercises that authority because it's a relationship with the father. And how is that authority expressed, my brothers and sisters? Well, one way in which that authority is expressed is how Jesus treats other individuals. And certainly, my brothers and sisters, when it comes to how we exercise our authority as we participate in the work and ministry of the Lord, the same factors come into play. Because once again, notice Jesus did not just dismiss the man with the unclean spirit. I'm trying to teach. You're bothering me. Get away from me. I got better things to do. But he addresses the individual through an expression of love or charity. What about us, my friends? A friend of mine, he is currently a doctor. And he tells me the story that when he was younger, he, his brother who was a little bit younger than him, maybe about two years younger, got seriously ill. Now, my friend probably at the time was only about six or seven, so he was young himself. And so he remembers going to the hospital with his parents. And he remembers this look on his parents' face, this look of dread, this look of concern. And he couldn't quite put all these pieces together because they would go to one hospital and they <clears throat> couldn't seem to find what was wrong with his brother. And they would go to another hospital and they still couldn't quite seem to find out what was wrong. And eventually they ended up at the Mayo Clinic. And he remembers the fact that a doctor walked in and said to his parents, do not worry, I know what's wrong with your son. And I will be able to heal him. And he said he could remember the look on his parents' face. The darkness turned to light. And he said that at that time, as a little boy, he said to himself, I want to be a doctor because I want to bring light to people's faces. My brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus does. He brings light to individuals' faces by the good news, and we're called to do the same. It's like the pediatric oncologist who was an atheist who eventually came to believe in God because of her patience and the faith that they had as they walked this difficult journey. And she recalled that one encounter with one family who she had just told that their daughter had cancer. The father looked at her and said, well, all I can tell you, ma'am, is, is that in our family, cancer is not the big C. Christ is the big C, cancer is the little C. <clears throat> you see, my brothers and sisters, 
the authority of Christ is expressed in our interaction with one another, just as Jesus interacts with others. Christ also expresses his authority in that he is faithful to the mission given to him by the Father. And that mission, my friends, to be accomplished would mean the way of the cross. What about us? Are we willing to walk the way of the cross? Are we willing to accomplish the will of our God, whatever it may be in our life, even when the Lord asks us to do something difficult or something we just don't feel like doing or something that is going to mean that there's going to be a lot of suffering, but in the suffering there will be great joy. True story, in World War II there was a platoon of soldiers and they had to cross a minefield. And these soldiers had to get to the other side. It was an important part of their combat. So the commander said, this is what they were going to do. He said, we're going to send one soldier across. And you're going to walk through this minefield. And you're going to make sure you make heavy footprints. And if you're still alive, we know that's a good spot to walk. And you're going to keep walking. And if you get blown up, we know, don't follow that set of footprints. And then the next person's going to go behind you until there's a clear path to get to the other side. Now all the soldiers are wondering who is going to be the first one to have to walk the minefield. And the commander looked at them and said, I will be the first. My brothers and sisters, the Lord was the first. He walked the way of the cross. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done already for us. But we have to be willing and open to the will of our God and to the mission that he's entrusted to us. And we're also reminded, my friends, when we speak about the authority of Jesus, is that that authority as it has been expressed in our relationship with other people, that authority as it is expressed, my brothers and sisters, in being faithful to God's will each and every day, just as Jesus was faithful to the will of the Father, that that authority, the coming of Jesus, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, all of those things, my brothers and sisters, has changed history completely. And has an effect on us today as it did 2,000 years ago. And that's so important for us to remember. The famous painting, The Last Supper. I think all of us are familiar with The Last Supper. The Last Supper was painted about 500 years ago. If you ever go to Milan, you're able to see The Last Supper in its original condition there, the original painting. What's very interesting, my brothers and sisters, is that when Leonardo da Vinci painted that Last Supper about 500 years ago, if you look very closely, and I was able to notice this from one of the sisters who gave the tour last time I was in Milan, everything in the painting is done in a circular manner. Everything is circular. The bread is circular, if you look closely. The plates are circular, the cups are circular, 
Even how the disciples sit around the table, oftentimes when we look at it, it sort of just looks like a banquet table, but it's actually not. It's a semicircle when you actually look at it as it's painted on this wall because the particular painting is actually in a convent, not a museum. Everything is in a circular motion. Why was that? Well, when they go back and do the research, Leonardo was trying to get an important point across. And the point was this. Just as when you throw a rock in a body of water, and the rock hits the water, and there are ripple effects that come from the rock, well, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has caused ripple effects. And that was what Leonardo was trying to express with the circular motion, that there were ripple effects throughout all of history, past, present, and future. And the same is true, my friends, even until today. I came across this quote. I'm not sure the author it is. I pulled it from one of my notes, but I, I really like this particular quote. It reads like this. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and Jesus for only three. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who are among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures. Yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music. Still Haydn and Handel and Beethoven and Bach reached their highest performance of melodies in the hymns, symphonies, and oratories they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by the humble carpenter of Nazareth, the Christ, the Messiah. This unique contribution to the race of humans is the salvation of the soul. Philosophy could not accomplish that, nor art, nor literature, nor music. Only Jesus Christ can break the enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace to the human heart, strengthen the weak, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. You see, my friends, the authority of Christ, the very, very life of our Savior, transforms us even until today. May we, my brothers and sisters, whatever oppressive spirit may be in our hearts this day, May it, may it, it may be the spirit of anxiety or the spirit of worry, the spirit of unforgiveness or the spirit of hatred. Whatever it is, my friends, the authority of Jesus, the presence of our Savior, wants to set us free. Were we alive so that you and I may be made new this day?